0: What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked on Reds. And here we go. What is going on, Reds fans? And happy Friday. Welcome into the Locked on Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to today's show. I am very excited. About today's show and i hope you are too i got the chance to talk with bronson arroyo i just it was an absolute blast bronson arroyo is one of the coolest people i have ever met and i think you're really going to enjoy this interview before we get to that though make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on itunes spotify google play stitcher and the new podcasting app himalaya also check us out on social media on twitter at Reds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And then head on over to LockedOnReds.com. We've got some fresh content up by Dave Pemberton. He takes a look at Wednesday night's game and why we as Reds fans should expect more of that to continue. Now, let's get to the interview. All right, so for today's phone-it-in Friday, we're actually not phoning in anything. I'm sitting right here with Bronson Arroyo very excited to be talking to you here on today's Lockdown Roads Podcast. Bronson, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Can't
1: complain. 11 a.m. on a... I don't know what day of the week it is. I never know what day of the week it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, which is true, because not because I'm not playing, but even when we did play, you never know what day of the week it is because right. you're playing every day. You just keep on rolling. That's right. That's what's up. Um, just
0: <clears throat> my first question to lead in. When you're a kid growing up, I know for me especially I was always thinking I'm like dude I want to be a baseball player and I know there's some kids that are like I want to be a rock star one day you're both like and 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 you're probably not you're like "Ah, I'm not a rock star but you've played Fenway Park right Like, (laughs) like there's not like a lot of people who are musicians that can say that what does that mean
1: to you The music part of it, just all of it. it When you look back and you're
0: like, I played baseball, I played on stage, doing all this crazy stuff. Like, what does that? Yeah, you know,
1: for one, I mean, I feel like I'm just, I'm just getting into the music thing in a lot of ways. You know, I was had a writing session yesterday. I probably finished 20 songs in the last year that I've written, and um, and I'm still playing with a band in this area and around New England, all cover songs for the last couple of years, and that's going to continue on. Um, not only because charity work um you can get out and play and raise some money for people but also just just to get out and play shows and and i and i'm i'm you know when people say that oh you're a rock star too you know and I'll, you know i'm comparing myself in the baseball world i would have compared myself to the greatest that ever played the game which was a greg maddox or a pedro martinez in their prime and so that's why i'll say you know i was a nice solid major league pitcher but i'm definitely not a hall of famer um and in the music world you know i'm, I'm comparing myself to a guy like eddie Vedder who i get to watch up close and personal at times and um you know see what a what a real rock star looks like and so you know I'm just kind of ascending the ladder a little bit and I'll never get to that um, point in that genre but um you know, to, to just to have something to dig into, I think, is very important in life. And and I got to dig into baseball from the time I was a, a six-year-old kid in a very strange and serious way that the average person didn't get to tap into. Not only was I just playing t-ball like every other kid or little league, but I was also in the weight room and I was carbo-loading and I was taking vitamins and supplements and we were talking strategy and I was changing tempos in my mechanics at age seven. You know, there's there's a lot of things that that's all, we, we were doing it on a very high level and musically, I try to take that as serious now, most of the time, because you know, without having something to really dig into, a lot of times you see a lot of guys who have retired, and when they don't have that second thing to really, um, you know, get a little bit of adrenaline going, or just to be able to go to the woodshed and just kind of work it out, you know, for an hour and a half. Um, sometimes you find guys being a little bored, or going a little stir crazy, or you know, just having a hard time with life in general. So I, I've been. You know, I feel like I've 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 found a sweet spot in something outside of the game that I could that I could really be passionate about. So, uh,
0: thinking of the music side, when will we see the first Bronson Royo
1: album? Um, well, I put out a cover record in 2005 in Boston, and, uh, and that's called Covering the Bases, and that 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 was with some of the greatest musicians on the planet. It was. John Mellencamp's old drummer named Kenny Aronoff who's played with Everybody Under the Sun and this guy named Lee Sklar played on 2,500 hit records played for James Taylor all through the 70s. It was it was a magnificent experience but I obviously wasn't singing my own songs. I was playing Pearl Jam songs, Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana, um, you know, Foo Fighters. and uh, But an original Bronson Royal record I think in the next 12 months I'll probably put something out and you know, it's not the goal is definitely not to see if you can tap into as many people as possible. It's just more about honestly making the product. It's like having a vinyl record, sit in your house, drop the needle down on it, and be able to listen to something that you created. You know, I think that, that first and foremost, and then if you get an opportunity to play in, in small venues where 150 people show up and someone is singing a song back to you that you've created, pretty, pretty fantastic. And if not, you know, just, just, just kind of grinding through the, the process of finishing songs. From a lyrical standpoint, has been fantastic up up to this point. This was
0: up. Thinking uh, more of the baseball side. Just when I say baseball,
1: what's the first thing that comes to mind? Just for you, life's work. Yeah. Just just you know, like a guy who's you know like Alex Honnold who's been free soloing and climbing mountains his whole life. It's just his life's work, right? It's just it's the most present thing um, in your existence. It just is, you know, your wife, your kids, your girlfriend, you know, your parents, all of that. At some point running that road, if you think of it the way I do, you know, they they are all taking a back seat to that life's work and, um, everything about you from, from how much you go out and are you going to go out to dinner tonight? And, you know, do you want to, uh, go snow skiing in the off season? You know, everything about my life has been encompassed you know, bouncing it off of what will that do to me in my baseball world, and that and that started at you know at seven years old. So, you know, I was thinking about this game for thirty years, um, and that's all you ever thought about. Because even when your friend said, "Hey, let's go fishing," um, you know, in December, it's like, okay, yeah, we're gonna go fishing. How are we gonna eat today? How much protein am I gonna get in me? When am I gonna get that workout in? How long are they be out there? Am I gonna get motion sick? You know, you're, you're constantly evaluating all of those little aspects just to um, make sure that you were good inside of the game. That's what's up. And kind of going from the macro
0: to the micro, something that I was reminded of just a few days ago, and I really wanted to ask you about it because I remember watching it live. 2004, game six, eighth inning, you're up 4-2. You got A-Rod with a little dribbler down first baseline. You pick it up and you try and tag him. right. And he smacks
1: it out. (laughs) What what is going through your mind there? Yeah, it was a weird play. You know, it's like there's a lot of things going through my mind, which it's funny, you know, that you could even run this stuff back. But what's going through my mind is, okay, I don't know what the count was, but I know I'm taking a little bit off of breaking ball. So I'm not throwing it at 78. I'm probably throwing it at 68 or 70. I'm trying to get him out front. And uh, he squibs it right off the end of the bat. And my first reaction is, Uh, make sure you pick this ball up because it's spinning like a top right it could just shoot out of your glove and so in those moments it's very easy to get ahead of yourself and try to make the play before the ball's in your glove and then next thing you know you got first and third and you hadn't gotten it out so so I was really concentrated on the ball and what happened was I picked the ball up and when I looked to my left just to flip it because he would have been out by you know 10-15 feet it was a it was a no-brainer Doug Minkiewicz was just kind of so probably uh, hyped up in a game like that that he came to get the ball not realizing that I was going to cover the play very easily. And so he's standing right next to me and there's nobody on first base. So then I have a little bit of panic in my mind and it's like where is Alex Rodriguez at? I, I'm assuming he's going to be right on top of me and it's going to be this bang bang play where I can barely tag him. Well when I look up he's kind of jogging. He's not really running full speed and he was not far down the line. So I, kind of, I relaxed a bit and then he just Chop my left forearm, and I, all I remember was my glove flying up and not knowing where the ball was, and I caught it on the back side of him, and then looking and seeing the ball carry all the way down the right field line, and he, Jeter's coming around, the place is going crazy, and Mincevich looks at me and he's like, "You're right, bro," because he thought he hit my arm really hard. Yeah. And um, the only thing going through my mind from that point on was, "There's not four umpires here; there's six umpires because we're in the playoffs." And somebody had to have seen that. You can't tell yeah. me, you know, <laughs> that this that that looked so normal that that you can't reverse this thing. And so, you know, we were so used to having, or I wasn't used to it, but just Red Sox Nation was used to having things always go wrong in those situations. And we had already had one call earlier in the game that went our way, and then this one went our way and um you know it was fantastic standing out in the middle of that field and realizing for one i didn't now i didn't have to pitch to gary sheffield with a runner in scoring position because they sent jeter all the way back to first base right and so um you know it, it felt like okay that that was a huge break for us and i remember looking over to this day it's it's on a documentary somewhere i think it's uh four days in october if you look you'll see um orlando cabrera he takes his glove off and he's going like this. He's acting like he's wiping tears away from his eyes and he's going putting up a number seven at some guys like neck left of our dugout. And I and I asked him what that was, and he said he said it was that day I asked him. I was like, yeah, what was going on over there? He goes he goes, there's these freaking guys over there that are just riding me the whole game, man. He's like, you guys are going. To, I mean, they're all over me. He said they're smashing me. And he said I was looking up and he said, don't cry, don't cry. We're going to game seven. We're going to game seven. And uh, he said those dudes wanted to kill him. I believe
0: it. What, what was Yankee Stadium like when you're going through that whole run?
1: From that – well, that day, from that point on, the rest of the game, I mean, it was a war zone. It yeah. was unreal. So right when that happened, as soon as the empires call them out, they start launching stuff onto the field. So you've got, I mean, everything from batteries to, to beers coming from some of it in the upper tank, you know. And Yeah, and so <laughs> so Francona's trying to get us off the field or at least in the middle of the field. You'll see him like um, Terry saying, get in the middle of the field because he didn't want anybody to get hit. And so then they brought out the riot crew, and there, you know, there's 25, 30 guys down that line just standing there with these shields on and the helmets and everything, and it, it felt like a war zone. I mean, because every time we would play those guys, even regular season, there would be so many fights in the stands. Right. You know, I'd have friends come into the game where they couldn't wear the Red Sox hat on the train coming in, right? They'd, like, stuff it in their pants until they got in the stadiums where they felt safe. And, um, you know, that rivalry was something that you couldn't duplicate anywhere else in, in, in that game, uh, definitely nowhere else in the game of baseball. You know, maybe, you know, obviously football games, they only get to play 16 times a year. I'm sure those games feel super intense. And they're, you know, they're playing such a physical game. But as far as baseball goes, you weren't going to you weren't gonna top that, um, you know, Pedro Martinez standing on the mound in in Yankee Stadium and all the history there. And so, um, you know, it was fun, though. It, it, it got me used to playing under a type of pressure that there was nothing else you could throw at me in the game that was going to kind of shake me. Um, when I was out on the mound even if you, if you didn't if you didn't get it done I mean that's one thing but you know you don't win that's that's neither here nor there but I was going to feel comfortable inside that circle
0: was there ever any point I mean I know 2012 was super stressful but was there ever any point where you felt that same kind of pressure in the Reds uniform
1: you know I think all playoff games you feel the weight of the city on your shoulders a little bit especially you know for a team that hadn't been in the playoffs in a long time. When I first got here in 06, I remember the very first thing out of Jerry and Aaron's mouth was like, man, he goes, you don't, I know you don't want to be here because you just got traded from Boston and you signed an undervalued deal. But he said, you know, you have no idea how really thirsty this team is for some starting pitching, man. They're just really happy right. with the fact that you're in this locker room. And that day I walked in, Kent Merker was there, Griffey was there, and Harang was there. And I didn't even know Aaron Harang at all. I pitched against him. But I, that's really all I knew about him. I didn't know his career. I didn't know he was the, the number one guy in this club. You know, I hadn't paid attention to the National League because um, when you're playing in that rivalry, you feel like you're on ESPN every other night and you're in the center of the universe, you know? We're knocking right. on the door of... Uh, we're knock, we're five outs away from the World Series in 03, and then we win the thing in 04. 05, we have a good season. We make the playoffs as well. And so you're not thinking about what's going on in the National League unless you just happen to play those teams in interleague play for, you know, three games. Sure. And... Um, so when I got here, though, he made it very apparent that, that it was a breath of fresh air for me to walk through that door. And so, um, you know, figuring that out relatively quickly and getting off to such a hot start in 06 really helped me kind of feel um, like it was worth being here.
0: I always remember there there was a time where I was standing down on the field when Willie Mopena was here. And he just he seemed like the biggest dude, like, ever. Right. And then that trade went down. What... What does that feel like to get traded? Because as a fan, we see every day, you know, like a new guy puts on a uniform and to us he's still on the same television even if it's like I mean thinking of just here recently with Billy Hamilton going to Kansas City, like I turned it on, I can see him playing on television, so it doesn't feel like he went anywhere to me. Right.
1: But as a player, what what does that feel like? Well, it can be very it can be very life-changing, you know. It, depending on the circumstances, there there are times when trades are very pleasing to a player who wanted to get out of that city for whatever reason. Maybe they get an opportunity to play on a better ball club that you know is going to be in the playoffs, which can be very exciting for let's say like a guy like Mike Leake, who goes over and pitches in San Francisco at the end of that run yeah. in uh, 2014. You know, but for in my, in my case, you know, it was it was me being finally cemented in the major leagues. You know, I, I I'm on the 03 Red Sox club that off season. Theo Epstein calls me up. I'm walking my dog down the street and he tells me something that no one in the pirate organization would have had enough balls to tell me which was you're on this ball club no matter what next year bronson unless you show up to camp at 300 pounds and i just want to let you know that right like (laughs) that that sort of transparency does not exist in the game of baseball and so um for him just to say that to me was you know it was really nice and then you know i'm there in 04 we win the whole thing i'm you know, I'm a frontline major league starter now. I'm pitching behind Pedro Martinez, Kirk Schilling, Derek Lowe, and Tim Wakefield, right? I'm on this really all-star team. I handle my own. I think I win 14 games that year or no, in 04, I didn't get all my starts. So I won 10 that year. So I went 14 in 05. And I feel like, you know, I'm on my way to just pitching in this uniform for the next decade. And then I sign an undervalued th- three-year deal and they tell me they have no planes to trade me. And five weeks later, I'm in spring training uh, I beat the Orioles that day. I had a good outing. Uh, hanging with some friends. I talked to Stephen King, the writer, who had, who had written this little part on, on that album for me. And um, we have a nice little chat and I get in my car to drive home. And when I get home, Theo calls me and tells me, I got some news I don't want to tell you. Damn. And I said, you just traded me, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I traded to the Reds for Willie Mopena And it's literally like the biggest gut punch of your life. I mean, it's it's equivalent... in in the way that that went down you know it was equivalent to you know your girlfriend who you think the world of who you just feel like you're completely dialed in with and you know you're ready to marry her and then she's like oh listen i fell in love with somebody else and i'm gone like huge gut punch and i was pissed man i was pissed and you know the thing was theo had traded me but he wasn't the guy who told me he wouldn't trade me because he was on hiatus at that time there's this I don't know if you know the story where Theo was having beef with Larry Lucchino, who was the second in command under John Henry with the Red Sox. And he wound up leaving in a gorilla suit, so the media didn't know it was him. He jumped in his car and just quit.
0: <laughs> wow. That was
1: at the end of 05. And, um, so I was actually having these negotiations with Jed Hoyer, um, and another guy named Ben Sherrington mm-hmm. who were kind of co, um, GMing the Red Sox at the time while they figured out what they were going to do with Theo. And, um, you know, so just, you know, getting traded like that, I mean, not only is it, you know, you don't think about all the stupid things that happen, you know, when you're, even when you're bouncing up and down from the minor leagues to the big leagues. So let's say you're in AAA when I was there, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and the big league teams in Pittsburgh, right? Those aren't like right up the street from each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get called to the big leagues, you get into your apartment, you've got to rent furniture most of the time, you're doing all these things, you fill your refrigerator with groceries and your family flies in to watch you pitch and you pitch and right after the game they go, hey bud, nice job, man. But somebody's coming back off the DL, man. You're going back to Nashville. Oof. You just moved out of your apartment in Nashville. You know, it's just, there's so many things even monetarily that are just hard to deal with, you know, when you're at that level. And in uh, trades, no difference. You know, I just bought a house in Boston. I'd walked in it two times, oh, twice, and then they never did. lived in it. And they traded me. So, you know, it's, it's life-changing stuff for a lot of people. Now there can be some guys who are in a perfect situation where they're used to bouncing around. Maybe they don't have any roots into that city yet. And you come to Cincinnati and you play a year, year and a half, or maybe the end of that first season, and you're just renting an apartment in the city, no big deal. And they say, hey, we're going to trade you over to uh, the Red Sox. And you're like, oh, cool, man. I'm going to a team that's going to make the playoffs. You know, we weren't going to make the playoffs. So it can be the opposite for some guys. But for me, at that time, that was, that was devastating.
0: This offseason, the Reds had the mandate, the Reds' front office had the mandate to get the pitching. They had to add talent, and they had to do it in a hurry. Now, there is no way to go back and confirm this, but the Reds might have used ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is the kind of website that is going to bring quality applicants to your job posting. In fact, in the first 24 hours of you posting your job on ZipRecruiter, 80% 80% of those job posts get qualified applicants. That's right, 24 hours. ZipRecruiter, what they do is they take your job post and they spread it out to hundreds of job sites throughout the wonderful interwebs. That way you have the absolute best chance at nabbing your next best employee. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And I'm going to tell you what, you got a great introductory offer with ZipRecruiter. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and you get your free job posting f- or you get your first job posting for free on ZipRecruiter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. getting to the club and meeting Harangue and finding out that he's the ace, was there ever, I mean, it doesn't have to be unfriendly, but was there ever, like, friendly competition between you two? Just kind of like, hey, man,
1: I went out there six innings today. Like, right. you only went five last time. <laughs> right. that? I, think it, I think it probably grew to friendly competition by the by the end of of that first year of 06. You know, when I first got there, honestly, I was just so oblivious to, I was just wanting to pitch good for the club, you know. I wasn't really... Oblivious to any of that kind of going on. And um, Aaron punched out 233 that year. Or let's see, no, he, I punched out 184. He, he punched out, he threw 233 innings and I threw 240 innings. But he punched out well over 200. I remember that. And he had, um, I think he had some Cy Young votes that year. Mm-hmm. And I put up 23 quality starts and only won 14 games. And um, we both had great seasons. Probably by the end of that year, we were both looking at each other like, all right, you know, we're going to have to hold this fort down because everybody else from Paul Wilson to Kent Merker, you know, a lot of those guys were either hurt or they just weren't getting the job done. Um, Eric Milton's knee was bothering him a lot. He was kind of on the downside of his career. And then everybody else, honestly, would just had no business being in a big league uniform. So, you know, we're, we're rolling with the team that had Stormy Weathers closing, right? And Stormy right. had a great career, but he didn't, he didn't really – need to be in the if you had a good ball club he's not in the ninth inning he's in the seventh and the eighth right, right? and so um i think me and aaron probably grew closer and, and probably had a lot of respect for each other and i've also been a very mild mannered guy and very humble and always um let someone else have the spotlight especially when it was des- deserving you know and um i never we never had any never had any beef in the locker room i, mean, I never had any beef in the locker room really with anybody um but it was it was fun. it was definitely fun those first two years for me us kind of being alone and I, and the one thing that I'd say was a bit of a disappointment was that as the team was getting better and grinding closer to making the playoffs with Dusty and the Jay Bruces and the Joey Vados and the Mike Leakes and the Johnny Quatos, I wish Aaron would have been his old self yeah because um, he really could have really put us over the top in that rotation, I think but um you know he his arm was bothering him a little bit he started waning he was. He was not the same guy he was after 07. He never was. He was was okay, but he wasn't really dominant like he was before. Before I got to the big leagues, and I was 27 years old, you know, in a Red Sox uniform, winning the World Series, and I felt like the baby on the club. And these days, they're trying to act like a 27-year-old is like creeping towards the top of the mountain on his weight, de- <laughs> yeah. going down the other side, you know? He's almost ready to retire. So, no, true. um, true. You know, things have changed a little bit. But so, you know, all those years, I went 19 and a half years without getting hurt. Um, and there was times, obviously, that I, you know, I, I paid attention to a lot of details, and I did a lot of things to my body that other guys wouldn't necessarily have wanted to do or paid attention to in order to keep myself going. There was times where... I was banged up as anybody, but I knew a little bit more about anti-inflammatories than they did, and I had my own anti-inflammatories, or I was willing to go get acupuncture and massage, and 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 know uh, about the treatments in the in the in the training room a little bit more than them, you know. And the, all those little tiny crumbs that I picked up is what I think uh, allowed me to stay healthy for so long. But part of that also was just purely having enough room in my shoulder stuff that i was just born with right and maybe it's a little bit of luck not getting hit hit in the face with a line drive or you know a lot of things could have happened but i went from 1995 to 2014 without missing a start right right and so when when i do hit the wall in arizona um it wasn't nearly as as frustrating as it could have been had it happened four or five years earlier i had already i already knew i was you know, I already knew I was coming down the other side of the mountain. I was 37 years old. I felt like I could have pitched for four or five more years, no problem. I knew I could win baseball games, um, but there was going to come a time when you when you know you just didn't know if the wheels were going to fall off. I thought maybe I'd make it my whole career and walk away from the game without never missing a start. I mean, that was literally right. for, on my mind. I thought that could happen, but I also knew there was a possibility that, that wouldn't happen. And um, so it was it was easy in the beginning because I thought I'd bounce back from this in about 18 months and then it wind up getting drug out to about two and a half years. And even at two and a half years, I went into that spring training in 2017 with the Reds and I just wasn't right. My shoulder was still messed up. And so I had a cortisone shot, which I knew would mask it for a couple of months. And that's how I went three and one by the end of May and I was leading the team in wins and everything looked okay even though I was throwing 83, 84 miles an hour. But then the wheels just started coming off. My shoulder wouldn't take to cortisone anymore. There was no way my elbow was swelling up to the point where I couldn't even play catch in between starts. You know, and part of that was the fact that when I was in Arizona, when I did get hurt, the ligament came off my elbow and my shoulder was tore. and I pitched eight more times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Eight more times, I go three and two with a two-something ERA. By the end, I cannot throw 80 miles an hour, but I still beat Josh Beckett in Dodger Stadium two to one that day and I didn't touch 80 miles an hour, right? And th- that was where my ego lied in the game was like the guy was going to go out there and make it happen no matter what. And I probably pushed myself to the point where it made it that much harder to come back from, or if never coming back from it, you know, was going to be a real possibility. And so, it was a grind at the end, especially in 2016. I was with the, um, I was with Dusty Baker over there with the with the Nationals, and I stayed in the rookie league the whole year, just grinding, man. And that was that was not easy mentally, just being down there with those really young kids on hot days, taking yourself back to being in the rookie league with no one in the crowd, and then every time you get up on the mound. Like one day out of every ten feels good, and then the day after that, when you feel good, when the ball's actually coming out of your hand with a little bit of life, your elbow and shoulder are killing you. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a daunting task, and and um, had that. Like I said, if that happened earlier, it would have really put a damper on my career. But luckily for me, I, you know, I got through it into into the twilight before that happened. Well, with all due respect to Robert Downey Jr., I've always thought of you as Iron Man.
0: <laughs> you mentioned. 2017. I had to ask you about this because I always thought it was awesome. The t-shirt. Did you come into spring training with the idea you had this t-shirt ready for your first win, or was it kind of a last second? Oh, the return game? of the living dead? Yeah. I love that
1: t-shirt. That t-shirt's awesome. You know what? My favorite thing about that t-shirt, I made that t-shirt with my buddy at home. So I got I got a buddy at home, and uh, he's he's kind of a self-made computer genius in a lot of ways. You know, he he knows how to manipulate stuff like that. So I just said to him. I think it was right at the end of spring when I realized my arm was going to be okay, like at least good enough to make this club. Um, and, you know, if Brian Price wasn't there, I, I might not make that ball club. Right. I, I might, I would have been in the organization, but they probably would have sent me to AAA and been like, let's see, prove it. And then by the time I got through proving it, I might have been done, right? right? But Brian Price had been around me for so many years, and he knew that I could make it happen throwing 83, 84 miles an hour and he also knew if I couldn't that I was going to still add some value to that ball club being the person I was inside that locker room for some young guys yeah. and so that was that 2017 season was a blend of me proving I could still do it and then the body saying hey I'm done here but I got to add three months of value to the team traveling and and Hosting a radio show and throwing parties and and talking shop with the young guys and leaving every little bit of wisdom I had left in the game before I exited. Right, and that was, that was um, that was very enjoyable. Um, but the T-shirt, it's coming near the end of spring. I tell my boy Chris, I said, I got this idea, and he said, What are you thinking? And I said, Well, I, I don't know. I said, I remember seeing this movie when I was a kid with my dad about these. These skeletons coming out of the ground, and I think it's called something like Night of the Living Dead or Return of the Living Dead or something. I said I want to make the shirt with me on it and have the cemetery with all the guys that are not playing anymore, that that were studs that I played with in the Reds and the Red Sox organization, just for fun, you know, and. Um, he said, all right, so he mocked it up, and then we wind up putting in strategically exactly the guys that I wanted to, who were my, all my buddies in Millar and Veritech and it's Derek awesome. Lowe and Ortiz and everybody who wasn't playing the game anymore. It was night that I, I buried them, and I'm still alive, you know, and uh, the, I gave those away to all the guys in the locker room. And, you know, I, don't, I actually don't have one of those shirts, Oh, really? but I'm pretty sure that um, Chris has at least one or two left at home. Um, and some of the guys were still wearing them I and they still have them in their lockers in the clubhouse now. But uh, that was the first time I had ever given out a t shirt because I, was, I wasn't a guy like Scooter who, who, who liked having, you know, I never liked being in the limelight, to be honest with you. Like, I, I wanted to be in the limelight for the right reasons all the time. Yeah. And it wasn't because of self promotion. I wanted to be in the limelight because I was doing my job on the mound. Um, but, you know, near the end there, sometimes, you, you know, you've, you feel like you've earned the right. To be a little braggadocious when you're 40 years old right? and you're still surviving the game and a lot of guys can't And uh, so that's why we passed out those shirts.
0: That's awesome. I
1: always love those shirts and we'll, we'll wrap up real quick.
0: I got some quick pitches I want to throw at you because you're always really good with a quick pitch so I thought I'd throw some to you. Alright. Skyline or Gold Star?
1: Oh Skyline definitely just because my people who live in this city are all Skyline <laughs> Kroger or Publix? I'm going to go with Publix because it's a, it's a Florida chain, and I've been in that one a lot more.
0: I lived in Alabama for a little bit and saw Publix, and I was like, ooh, this, this might be better
1: than Publix. Kroger. Yeah, Kroger, Kroger's a hit or miss. It's a, it's a coin toss on whether it's going to be clean. So a Kroger to <laughs> me is a split between a Winn-Dixie and a Publix, and it could be dirty, but it could feel clean like a Publix. I've never been in a Publix that felt dirty, so I'm, I'm going with that one.
0: And lastly, rank these in order of most, which you like the most, cornrows, dreads. Waves and short hair. Oh,
1: cornrows, dreads, waves, and short hair. Um, I'm gonna go with waves first, cornrows second, short hair third, and what was left? Uh, something I've never had dreads. Dreads, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I think cornrows are really cool, really cool, but a lot of work. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty painful if they do them right. If you get the right girl who's like, an, like a real African or like a bohemian girl, I mean, they'll make your head so tight you'll have a headache for a week. <laughs> and uh, and that, that was a good time, though, that, you, that, that season in '04, man, to, have, to be throwing a playoff game against the Yankees and to have a bunch of hairstylists down around Fenway Park doing all kinds of, like, construction workers' hair in, in cornrows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, before before Game uh, Three of the playoffs, the ALCS, it was it was pretty special.
0: That was always the best comparison in '04 was the Red Sox and the Yankees because you had the Yankees that had the facial hair ban and they had to be all straight laced and and Red Sox were just like, dude, we just want to come out and win. Right, like, we don't care for right. facial hair. Like, yeah, whatever. The, the
1: crazy thing is, I've got video from 03 so in 4 we've got this team with all this long hair, like Johnny Damon and and um manny has got the long hair now, and Pedro's got the Jerry curl going and and I got cornrows. We've got all this stuff going on. But if you I've got video from O three where in August Millar had come in and he told me to shave his head after we got him off a road trip because he was struggling. And then he started screaming because Millar was the guy who was the catalyst in that locker room. And he started screaming, You gotta skin it to win it. You got to skin it to win it. So he started screaming that at everybody every day until everyone shaved their head except for Nomar and um and uh Nomar was getting married that off season, and Johnny was growing his hair out for that long hair, and nobody knew it. So it was the only two guys on the team that didn't shave their heads. So I've got this video that John Burkett filmed, and he sent us all a copy of it, and it's 0-3. It's like game four in the playoffs in Yankee Stadium, and everyone now has shaved their head. And he, he's filming all of us stretching, and then he's filming the Yankees. And all those guys, like you said, are all clean cut, and they look like normal dudes, and we literally look like a bunch of prison inmates. <laughs> you, got, you got Trot Nixon with his white, bald head with a freaking handlebar mustache, and it's like we look like we just came out of a biker gang, man it was like so crazy how the the, you know the comparison was
0: that's awesome man bronson i really appreciate you doing this interview man this was a, a blast
1: uh definitely check out bronson's band this saturday we're playing up in mount orb um at a little town festival they have we're actually opening up for a an eagles cover band called uh i think seven bridges road or something and um that was uh yeah, after that, we don't have any gigs until around here till July. We're playing Bogarts. We're playing Bogarts. We're playing Red Stadium on July 5th, and we play Bogarts on July 6th, which will be a really good show because it's just such a great venue.
0: That's going to do it for us here on the Locked on Reds podcast for this week. Hope you all have a great weekend and thank you so much for downloading and listening. Like I said at the beginning, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcasting platform of choice and then check us out on social media and head on over to LockedOnReds.com. We'll have more great content coming to you on Monday. Going to recap a weekend worth of action for the Reds. Hopefully they continue to improve as they look to play the L.A. Dodgers, a very strong opponent. And then, of course, Friday night, you know, you've got the Puig Corral in right field, so nab you a few tickets there and then watch some fireworks after that. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. This is Jeff Carr for Locked On Reds saying have a great weekend.
1: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this
0: Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music.